0: It was nearly 70 years ago when the Reverend A. Powell Davies came across a picture that stopped him in his tracks. There's a copy of the picture downstairs in the social hall. I hope you'll stop and take a look at it. The picture in the newspaper shows US military officials smiling and celebrating over a cake shaped like the mushroom cloud that rose over Hiroshima after the dropping of the first atomic bomb that first atomic bomb that killed 80,000 people instantly and tens of thousands more over the years through radiation exposure. The bomb that caused an explosion that wiped out 90% of the city. The cake was made out of angel food puffs. The picture stopped Reverend Davies in his tracks and he was understandably outraged Rising into the pulpit that week at All Souls Church in Washington, D.C., Davies asked his congregation to imagine how it might feel to live in Hiroshima or Nagasaki and to know, as he said, that Americans make cakes of angel food puffs in the image of that terrible, diabolical thing that brought sudden death to thousands of their friends and a lingering, loathsome death to thousands of others. With his booming voice and his clear moral authority, he called the cake and the celebration a crime against whatever may be left of decency here in America. Davies was a popular and influential preacher, and this sermon of his caused quite a stir. It was read by many here in the United States, and it also made its way around the world and it wasn't long before a letter arrived for Reverend Davies from Japan. The letter came from a man who had been in the pews of all souls that Easter, a man who happened to be an aide to U.S. General Douglas MacArthur in Japan. The letter told of the ruined city of Hiroshima and of the Honkawa Elementary School, which stood roughly a city block from the blast center of that first atomic bomb. During that time when the bomb was dropped, 800 of the children who attended that school had been evacuated out to the country, but 400 remained. And it was those remaining children who arrived at the school that morning at 8 a.m. They had just gotten down to work, Davy said in a later sermon, when the bomb baked them to sleep. It was from the blasted out remnants of that school that the letter came telling of the students that survived, the students who lived, the students who returned to that bombed-out skeleton of a school building day after day with no windows, no heat, no pencils, no tables, eager to learn. The children who wove their way through the streets of rubble after nights of sleeping out under an open sky, those children who arrived hungry and in mourning, yet still eager to learn. Might the people of all souls want to do something to help these children with their studies? The aide who wrote this letter had approached others, but he had been met with silence or with angry words. Why would we help children of parents who participated in Pearl Harbor who were part of this terrible war? Why would we help them? The aide wondered, would the people of all souls be any different? Would they be able to look past their fears and their hurts? Would they be able to look past their assumptions about an entire nation of people and see these children, these survivors, as people who suffered and hoped just like them? This was the question. This was the invitation that Reverend Davies put before the congregation that day in the face of such suffering complicated as it was and always will be. In the face of such suffering, what would the people of the church do? The response came quickly. Soon the children of all souls were collecting supplies, and in the end they shipped over a half a ton of school supplies to Japan, where they were distributed to children at two schools and an orphanage in the Hiroshima area. In her book, Running with Cosmos, The Children of Hiroshima, our guest Shizumi imagined what it must have been like for the children to open up those boxes of supplies. There in the bombed-out shell of their school, with handmade dolls strung together and hanging in the window, each one representing a family member lost to the bomb, there in the shadow of those lost loved ones, these children opened the boxes, hopeful, Confused, questioning, they opened these boxes of supplies from America, boxes from the people who dropped the bomb. How was it that these same people could be sending them colored pencils and paper, sweaters, a full set of baseball gloves and balls and bats to field a team? Might it be that these people were more than the bomb? More than a monstrous, inhuman other, but people like them. People with hopes and dreams and hearts and hands that reached out across the ocean with help. The boxes brought questions and possibilities. They brought paper and crayons and pencils and an invitation from their teachers. An invitation to remember their city as it once was and might be again someday to draw the blooming cherry blossom trees, even though the real trees along the banks of the river were only just now beginning to return and likely wouldn't bloom again for years. Draw your pictures of beauty and peace. Draw your hope for a different future, a gift, to send back across the sea to the children of all souls, to our friends who are more than the bomb. With their new supplies, the children got to work. They made their drawings of cherry blossoms and festivals, of children playing and picking flowers, of kites in the sky. And these pictures made their way across the ocean to the people of all souls, where they were admired and loved and put away for a long time. It wasn't until 1995 that the pictures were rediscovered in the home of a church member. It wasn't until 2010 that a journey began to reunite the pictures with the artists who drew them. Members of All Souls Church packed up these drawings and traveled with them back to Hiroshima, where they met with the surviving artists, those children who had drawn the pictures who were now well into adulthood, And together they hung these pictures on the wall of the school in which they were created. This is a story of our shared past, a story of our Unitarian Universalist roots, and this is the story that will be told with a whole lot more to it down in our social hall when we show the movie, pictures from a Hiroshima schoolyard today at one and four. This is a story that ranges from outrage and embarrassment to witness and challenge and action. Refusing to look away from the worst that we can do to one another, a seed of hope and connection was planted, offering an invitation to reach out across difference and across pain that together we might strive for and create a different future. We cannot change the past. We cannot prevent all pain, but we can create a different future. This is the message I take from this story. We can stop and bear witness, refusing to walk by things that are hard to see. We can stand and look. We can fall down on the floor and weep with the suffering, and then we can respond The greatest sin of all, the Reverend Davies believed, was not to use the brains, and I'll add the hands and heart, that God has given us to do our part to right the world. If the world was to be saved, the Reverend Davies believed, we must bring to God not just our tears, but our sweat and toil too. Our liberal religious roots tell us that salvation is not coming from some supernatural force from above. Salvation, if it comes, will come from us bringing our tears, our eyes wide open to the injustices and pain of the world, and it will come from bringing our sweat and toil, the work of our hands and hearts and minds to the altar of this world. Salvation will come in how we respond. I don't know if you've heard the story this week of Ahmed Mohammed from Irving, Texas. It's been all over the news. It's the high school freshman who brought a homemade clock to school to impress his teacher, but instead he was arrested and suspended on the assumption that he had built a bomb. He was held for hours without access to his parents. He was deemed belligerent and uncooperative for repeatedly saying, it's just a clock. He was handcuffed and fingerprinted and suspended from school for sharing this invention. And as you know, if you've been following the story, this 14-year-old student has since received a groundswell of support with everyone from President Obama to MIT and Google and Facebook and Space Camp opening their doors and sharing their outrage at how he was treated, offering their encouragement for his future. Addressing the press this week, Ahmed greeted the crowd with this. Assalamu alaikum he said, the Muslim greeting of peace. Talking about his experience, he said I was scared initially, I was scared at the moment but now I feel really happy. I'm getting all this support from all over the world and the support it isn't just for me, but it's for anyone who's been through something like this. Ahmed made a promise. To use his moment in the spotlight to try his best, not just to help himself, but to help every other kid in the entire world that has a problem like this. In just a few short days, he moved from feeling embarrassed and ashamed to feeling hopeful and powerful, even. Promising, I will fight for you if you can't stand up for yourself. Um, Hamid's arrest and suspension and the assumptions that led to it are shameful. The truth about our schools and our juvenile justice system at times is shameful. Research bears out what what so many already know from experience, that relatively well-behaved students of color are more likely to be arrested and imprisoned than their white counterparts who get in trouble all the time. We know that Hamid's suspension and arrest, that the assumptions and the fears that led to his arrest are sadly typical. And we know that the outrage, the public questioning, and the widespread support that he has received in the wake of this experience are anything but typical. The larger patterns of our country show that school authorities often assume the worst of students who belong to racial and ethnic minorities. The larger patterns of our country show that racism still exists and that the implicit biases and judgments that it creates in us, in all of us, they bear out in real ways, in real lives. Ahmed's suspension and arrest this week was a public moment. It became a public moment a moment when all the world could see the impact of the culture of fear that we live within, the impact that violence has had as it has come to pervade our public places and our lives, I see it much like that photo of the bomb cake that stopped Reverend Davies in his tracks, a public moment that brings to light a truth that perhaps had gone unseen for a time, that along with our gifts, We humans have a terrible ability to distance ourselves from the very real people who are so often hurt by our actions and inactions. That we have this ability to fail to see the impact of what we have done or to take responsibility at times for our part. And yet, and yet, when we look further, when we look at how the people of All Souls Church responded to that invitation, to see and know and feel the reality of the lives lives of the children of Hiroshima, when we look at how the people of our country and beyond are responding, we can see something else, too. We can see companions standing there with eyes wide open, bearing witness to what has happened. We can see a response a response full of love and connection and strength, we can see the transformation of shame and fear into hope and possibility, into shared responsibility and power. We cannot put an end to the impact of our fear and the consequences of our biases and assumptions overnight, though we must keep trying with all our might. We cannot end all suffering and pain, whether it comes as a result of human hands or the variances of nature. We cannot change what has happened, but we can stand with eyes wide open. We can celebrate and suffer together, and we can choose how it is we will respond. And this, to me, this above all else is the fundamental religious and spiritual question of our lives. Will we be walkers with the dawn and morning, walkers with the sun and the morning, unafraid of darkness, unafraid of gloom? Will we be walkers with the sun and morning, or will we withdraw, full of fear and from our fear make choices that limit our lives and the lives of others? Will we be walkers with the dawn and morning? Will we open our eyes to see all of the beauty and brokenness? Will we open our eyes and stand beside in celebration or fall on the ground weeping? And what will we do in response? The roots of our faith speak clearly to us on these questions. We are walkers with the dawn and morning walkers with the sun and morning. That is what our roots tell us. Our spiritual lives as Unitarian Universalists are grounded in practical theology. We ask not just what is it that you believe, but we ask who will you be as a result of these beliefs, and what will you do? If the world was to be saved, Reverend A. Powell Davies believed, and so do I. We must bring not only our tears, but our sweat and toil to the altar of the world. Our roots tell us again and again that if salvation is to come, it will come from bringing our tears, our eyes wide open to all of the injustice and pain and beauty, and it will come from bringing our sweat and toil, the work of our hands and hearts and minds, to the altar of this world. So I want to leave us with a question today for all of us, us walkers with the dawn and morning, walkers with the sun and morning. What will you do? Who will you promise to see, to really see, letting down your fears and assumptions? How will you open your eyes to stand and bear witness to beauty and brokenness. How will you lend your hands? What will you do, you walkers with the sun and morning? May these be our questions. May it be so, and amen.